Hi there, Macabre Bobs. Welcome back to another episode of Wickedly Macabre. I, of course, am Dee, and with me today is Tiffany. Say hi, Tiffany. Hi, Dee. Hi. Okay, so we're here. We made it. Sorry for the delay, team. Life has uh, just been one big sucky suck hole. But uh, we're coming at ya. We're gonna finish this season and have a splendid for a summer, and we hope you do too. Tiffany, how are you doing? Yeah. I'm okay. I'm an interesting week and a half. Yeah, you're, you're uh, going through what I went through a few months ago with not having a voice or having that stress on your throat. Yeah, exactly. This is how I've been able to talk. We haven't been doing a whole lot of talking because your throat hole sucks. Yes, yes it does. Yeah. Uh, well, any big plans for the summer for you? Um, not really. You know, just working. Hopefully spending some time with family. Yeah. What about you? Um, trying to do the same. I mean, I'll be working and then uh, hopefully doing some research for season two. And uh, I just kind of want to make the most of my weekends with my family and go out and have some fun and, and maybe some take some short trips here and there to some water parks in the area. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I'm hoping the kids like it. This is the first time Jeff and I have had a... Um, uh, weekends off ever so this oh, wow. would be really awesome and fun and also exhausting <sighs> what swim uh, parks uh, well there's wild waves great wolf great wolf lodge uh, the Space Museum? Yeah, the aviation one. Yeah. And then there's like the Clackamas Park one. I don't even know if any of these. I, I know Wild Waves is still open. And they're not just like a water park, they're also a theme park. So um, that's cool. So you're, you go in there, you pay like one rate per person. You have access to both the theme park and the water park. Um, and then there's Silverwood, which is basically the same thing, just in Idaho. And it has like its own little set of mascots and it's really cute. I've been there before and I really liked it. However, I really just want to focus on water parks because I'm not big on the rides anymore. And they scared the crap out of me. Like roller coasters, I, I didn't really like uh, growing up or as an adult and now I, I have kids. Oh, God. I'm just exhausted. Um, sorry, everybody. But now, like, as an adult and a parent, I doubly don't like them because now I fear that my child will be decapitated on that ride. What? Well, nice thought. <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's a nice uh, anxiety to have, clearly. Yep. So... I've never been to... Oh, you're breaking up. Wild waves. 
I've okay. never been to Silverwood. I've never been to Wild Waves, and it's closer. I went to Wild Waves back during our electronic days at the electronic store we worked at way back when. It was also the only time I've ever seen another one of our uh, electronic stores. Oh yeah, because it was up up in that area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Excellent. I don't know why I say excellent so much, but apparently it's just my saying. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. Oh, and I think we might hit up Astoria. Astoria looks like we haven't we haven't been up that way, Jeff and I, and I haven't been over there since I was a kid. So I thought that would be really cool. Yeah, that's cool. I want to go to. Um... Halloween Town, St. Holland, during Halloween time. I would love to do that, but, you know, people. I don't really do well with crowds of people. Yeah. Um, two of the actors from that movie just got engaged a couple days ago. Yeah, isn't that so sweet? Oh. So cute. So sweet. Adorable. Yeah, but I'm definitely going to be writing and doing research also because I would like to have some stories written before we start our next season. Yeah, that would be good. I think that's smart. Super smart. Yeah. Um, okay, excellent. Well, I think it's time to move on to Fun Creepy Facts. creepy facts to creep you out we made it to the fun creepy facts to creep you out uh portion of our episode which i forgot to do last episode because i was just like totally thrown off our pattern and with it being like our kind of final run episode i had a really fun idea that i just came up with okay are you with me I am here and ready. Okay, so here's what I was thinking. We have a fun, creepy fact off. Where we where we just kind of like say fun, creepy facts one after the other. And I guess like until somebody runs out of fun, creepy facts. Okay. Okay. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? You know I'll what? Start. Let's flip a coin. Ooh. I know. Okay, so the coin of fate today is a U.S. dime from 2021. Has an old dude's head on it. I think it's Eisenhower. I don't know. Presidents are hard. Okay, Tiffany, call it. Heads or tails? Heads. Oh god, it went everywhere. Hold on, I gotta I gotta move my seat back. It's mechanical, so I don't want to disturb the coin. Okay, what did you say? Heads? Heads. Okay, it landed on heads, so you get to go first. Yeah. Okay. Did you know vending machines are a bigger threat to humanity than sharks? Did you know that the famous 
voodoo queen Marie Laveau of New Orleans was also a hairdresser. I did not know that. Well, now you do. Did you know that you could hire scary clowns to scare terrifying children? What the fuck is wrong with you? We do not say the C word in my <laughs> presence. It's creepy though. Not, nope, mm, uh-uh. Specifically in, uh, in Switzerland, you can um, hire a clown to stalk your kid. Okay, stop it. Nope, mm-mm. Okay, I can do this, I can do this. Uh, Chupacabra is a, some say mythical creature. Others, like myself, refer to the creature as a uh, un... It's illegal to hunt unicorns in Michigan. I get that. I don't want, I don't want anybody hunting a unicorn. Definitely not. Yep. Um... crap. I had one and I lost it. Hold on. The boogeyman. Do you know that the boogeyman legend actually started in Scotland and is middle English for hobgoblin. However, this particular myth has no shape, no description of this creature exists in all the legends. It can be adapted to be anything, anywhere, invisible, any person, in your home, in the wild. It's watching you right now, Tiffany. It's watching you. It's watching you. And if you disobey your parents, it's going to get you. Boogeyman. I don't like it. Well, you ain't clowns. I wouldn't boogeyman. <laughs> okay, this is more musical than it is like scary, but it's interesting. There's a highway in in California that plays the William Tell Overture, which is the theme of the Lone Ranger song. But to have it do it correctly, you have to drive 55 miles an hour. What? Yeah, yeah. So the sound of the road mimics the notes. That's so That's cool. That Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Did you know that the male anglerfish attaches itself to the female anglerfish and will get absorbed into her body? Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, did you know that the U.S. Center for Disease and Control Prevention has a website for zombie preparedness. I did know that because I'm I'm a kind of prepper and I'm just waiting for the day for these zombies to hit so I can prove my worth to the world. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, every time I enter a building, I <laughs> I actually I examine it for where I can, A, survive the apocalypse, uh, zombie-inspired apocalypse, or, you know, sadly, a shooter. Um, so, yeah, that's those are my two instincts. Like, can where can I hide, or what space can I utilize to survive an attack such as those two things? 
Makes sense. Did you know that male ducks will screw anything? <laughs> like, it will, it will uh, screw a dead duck. It'll screw another duck to death. Uh, it will, it does not care what um, gender the other duck is. It's, it's gonna, it's, it's, it's gonna do things to that duck if it is feeling in the mood. Wow. Yep. And it has a corkscrew penis, which, which means that the duck, uh, it, it looks like a corkscrew corkscrew and a duck uh a female duck's vagina actually has dead ends because apparently that's a it's painful and they just want them to stop wow that's horrible that would suck yep just thank god you're not a duck for real did you know the very first person to be charged with speeding was in 1896 he was spotted going four times the speeding limit can you guess how fast the speed limit was? Five miles an hour. Two miles per hour. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. So he was going... So he, he, wait, four times? Yeah. So he was going eight miles an hour? Yeah. Woo, go speed, demon. Uh, so fast, so scary. Oh my goodness. Wow, I didn't think that I'd be the first one to run out of creepy facts here, but um, I did. Okay, so one more for good measure since I won. I get one more. Okay. So I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day, and he said, I have a creepy fact for your podcast. And I was like, okay, cool. What is it? Did you know the biggest bubble in the world is underwater? The largest whale, which is the blue whale, has the biggest spark in the world. Holy cow. It's so big, it can fit a full-size uh, horse inside of it. Yeah, but what kind of breed of horse? Are we talking Are we talking a Clydesdale? Or I didn't are we specify. Oh, because, I mean, there's a big difference between a Clydesdale and an Arabian paint. For sure. Absolutely. So I'm just saying. But I mean, a blue whale's tongue is um, said to weigh as much as an elephant. So. Yeah, no, they, they are the largest creatures to ever be on this earth. So then I was thinking, that would probably be the worst smell in the world. Like, fish breath is bad enough, but can you imagine what fart would, oh my god, the fart of a whale would smell like? No, but... Why why are you sticking your face into another creature's mouth? Why are you sticking... You're inside the bubble. So no, but why are... How do you know what fish breath smells like, Tiffany? I've eaten fish before. Well, that's... Why... What, what kind of fish are You're you welcome. eating? Every kind of fish has smells to it, like salmon and cod. Yeah, but if it's made right, you're not going to have a nastiness in your mouth. No, but you'll still smell that fish smell. In fact, um, you're not allowed to bring fish to my work for lunch because the smell permeates throughout the building. Oh, yeah. Leftover fish, don't do it. That's just gross. 
Don't bring that yeah, into you your also, workplace. Mm-mm. You can't um, bake potatoes, apparently, either. What? Why? I don't know. Did somebody let an, a potato explode in the microwave? They must have, because it's a rule. And the only way the rules happen is if someone messes up. Excellent. So, way to go, potato killer, whoever you are. It takes an extreme talent to kill yep. a potato in a microwave. Definitely. I mean, well, I guess you got to start somewhere with your talents, right? So. Yeah, and if you're going to be good at something, you know, be good. Make a difference, I guess. <laughs> Make a difference. And the smell of your employer's building. Maybe not that. Nobody wants a stinky, <laughs> stinky um, no. lunchroom mate. It's no, although every time I make popcorn, it's like that smell is one of those smells that everyone in the building knows someone made popcorn. Yeah. Whether or not you burnt it, both ways, that smell, you can't get rid of it. Yeah, you can't get rid of it for like three hours. Also, yeah. I'm one of those weird people that really enjoys popcorn when it's been burnt a little bit. You're so weird. No, no, no. Because the texture changes. It actually just kind of like melts in your mouth. It's so good. And it's better when it's kettle corn. So it's like a little, it's almost like a popcorn cotton candy. I, it's so good. My favorite are the like half popped kernels. Yeah. Those are sometimes really good. I like the crunchy. Yeah. Okay, Tiffany. So, we're doing, because this is our final hurrah with season one, Wickedly Macabre, we have a little bit of a special episode today because Tiffany didn't write it and I didn't write it. This story comes from one of our listeners, who is coincidentally uh, one of Tiffany's co-workers, Tiffany, what can you tell me about this? Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. She wrote out a very detailed outline. Like, very detailed. Um, and then I essentially took her outline and turned it into, like, full paragraphs and sentences and kind of added some stuff to it. Um, yeah, so when she gave it to me, I think it was 10 pages, and now it's 14 pages. Hot damn. Yeah, she did a great job. It's great. It's awesome. And I have not it read was... this. Like, I've read, like, no. the first, like, paragraph, and then I was all like, you know, if I read this now, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to give my honest, like, feedback or... Um, reaction to the story as we are reading it. So I don't know what this story is about. So we um, initially started this. It was an idea that Amanda had. She's like, well, what if I do this? Um, and I was like, yeah. And at the time, I didn't have a voice. So we couldn't really record. Um and I was like, yeah, why not try it? Dee and I have been talking about um, other ideas for next season. And this is a perfect example of one of those ideas that we have. It's actually two ideas in one, which is 
um, one of us blindly reading an episode that we didn't write. Yep. Yep, and um, someone else that we know personally wrote it for us. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Uh, I really, I really like both those themes, reading somebody else's story and also not knowing where the story is going to go. I love that mystery. It makes me feel like I'm not just creating and producing, but also I'm a participant in the discovery of the story. So today, because Tiffany is still struggling with her voice, I am going to be reading this story. And like I said, I haven't read this story. I've never heard of this story. So I don't know what's going to happen. And this should just be a fun little uh, adventure for all of us. It may turn into a two-part episode. Uh, if that's the case, this is obviously part one. I don't know where this road is going to take us. So, Tiffany, are you, are you ready for me to begin? I am ready. Let's begin. Okay. That sounded so scripted. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny as it wasn't scripted. Not no, I mean, we don't script anything except for the story. Uh, the only creepy fact that we even had, like, actually typed out of all the ones that we did was the one from my brother-in-law. Um, yeah, the whale fart. Yep. Dang it! I did have one more! I had the psychopath one! Damn! Well, let's start this story. So, today's story is called The Boogeyman of Westfield. I'm going to take a drink of my V8 because I'm feeling a little parched. And just a heads Today. up, I'm probably not going to be doing a whole lot of editing because I don't want to. No so everybody got to hear me drink V8. That's right. I'm drinking a juice monster. Okay. The Boogeyman of Westfield. John was born on September 17th, 1925 in Bay City, Michigan to German-American parents Alma Barbara Florence List and John Frederick List. He was an only child who grew up in a strict Lutheran house. His parents migrated to America after World War I, where his father served for Germany. John had a very normal childhood, and he did not show any signs of psychological troubles. However, he was a loner who was not socially active and had very few friends in school and his locality. He joined the military during World War II, first in Europe and then in Germany. He was discharged in April 1945. After the war, he used his GI Bill, which is for current and past military personnel to use on college tuition. He enrolled, he enrolled into the University of Michigan. There he completed his bachelor's degree in business administration. He later pursued a master's degree in accounting from the same university to become a public accountant. As the Korean War had escalated in 1950, he was recalled by the Army in 1952 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. He ended up stationed at Fort Eustis in Virginia. One night, he went out to a club with a 
fellow service people, where he met Helen Morris Taylor, who was a widow with daughter Brenda close to his graduation. Hold on. That's a weird, that was worded weirdly. Yeah. So essentially what that's supposed to say is that when one night close to his graduation, he went out where he met his, this lady who became his wife. Okay. She had, had a daughter. daughter named Brenda. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Pretty soon after they began dating, Helen told him she was pregnant. All the resources made it seem like it was a scare so close to when they started dating. The baby might not have been his. Some say they got married because of the pregnancy scare and what you did back then, you know, it's what you did back in the 1950s. I think there's a good chance they got married because he was about to leave for war and they wanted to get married before he left. Either way, they married on December 1st, 1951 in Baltimore, Maryland. The family moving to Northern California. The Army realized List's accounting skills and reassigned him to the Finance Corps. I didn't even know that there is such a core. <laughs> There's a finance <laughs> core? Yep. After the wedding, she told him she was not pregnant after all. Not sure if she thought she was pregnant when she first told him if she really did do it to trick him into marriage or if the media made it up after the fact to explain the quick wedding. I think they married because of the military benefits for spouses. However, she managed to have children three children all within four years with him. He and his family lived happily and happily is in quotes in New Jersey, where he worked as an accountant with a stable income. He believed American men should be self-sufficient in supporting their families. Following the second world war, American society re-emphasized the ideal of a traditional family and social structure following the patriarchal view of the husband at the height of the family. The husband was the breadwinner for the family, bringing in a stable income while the wife and mother prioritized the home life and caring for the children. This notion formed part of the American dream, the desire to lead a simple yet prosperous life in comfort. This put immense pressure on John to provide for his family, but he couldn't seem to hold down a job. While the quality of his work was never an issue, he was meticulous and hardworking, but was often let go because he just robbed, rubbed his bosses or co-workers the wrong way. Something about John List was off-putting in a way that was hard to pin down. So when he landed a job as a vice president of a bank in New Jersey, it seemed their problems were over. Helen insisted that John purchase her dream home, a sprawling 19-room mansion named Breeze Knoll that was the most expensive house in the most expensive part of town with his wife, their three kids, and his mother. They couldn't really afford such an extravagant place, but rather than risk confrontation, John went to his mother, Alma, to ask for a loan. While John's late father had been more traditional type, John and his mother were always close. Friends said Alma doted on her only child, so she lent him the money he needed. And in exchange, she got to live in a self-contained apartment on the third floor of the mansion. That had been six years ago. Since then, everything has gone downhill. 
Sometime in 1971, he lost his job, but never told his family. He would go to work, but really go to the train station and read the paper while secretly stealing money from his mother's bank accounts to pay the mortgage and for food, etc. He refused to go on welfare. He could not handle the excruciating embarrassment in his community and admit that he was no longer self-sufficient. In less than a year, he was fired from the bank job, again, due to personality, personality clashes, rather than tell his family what had happened and admit failure, or searching for another job with less pay. He continued to get dressed and go to work every day. He would drive to the train station and ride at a few stops, get off, and return on a different train. He did eventually find another low, low, lower-paying job, which he also lost, and another, and another. His income was not keeping pace with his expenses, and he had begun skimming money from his mother's accounts by 1971. He was bankrupt. This presented a deep moral crisis for the devout Lutheran who believed that poverty itself was a sin. Interviews Rebecca and Jessica did for the podcast and written articles for the Star Ledger and NJ.com showed more day-to-day -day info on the family, specifically friends of their second oldest daughter, Patricia, a.k.a. Patty. List was always cold towards their friends, neighbors, and schoolmates. If anyone got close to his property or crossed his lawn, John would throw rocks at him. Oh my god. He would throw rocks at people? Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? He specifically chased after two teenage neighbor boys who were friends with Patty because they were on his lawn. He literally... Oh, he literally, he was literally the guy you see on TV who steals neighborhood kids' balls when they land in his lawn and the get off my lawn guy. He also said <laughs> Helen was I also- I out myself with that. You're like, I'm sorry. What the fuck? I didn't realize that there were people out there that actually acted that way. I thought that there was something, you know, crazy people did or people would do as like a joke that's that's crazy right like do you remember that oh, i don't know if you've seen it but in princess bride no it wasn't princess bride why i'm saying princess bride it was um princess diaries when she walks on the lawn and then the randomly this guy is like stop walking on the lawn i don't remember that yeah it's funny uh he also said helen was also sweet or always sweet warm and nice towards him if she happened to answer the door. Him and his brother just wanted to see if their kids would play with them after school. Of course, John was worse than Mr. Grouch and refused to let his kids play. Everyone once in a while, they would. Everyone once in a while, they would. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. They would, but it was clear his kids didn't know or understand how to play a simple kids game we all played up with. He shared that Helen was really sick and on bed rest all the time, so seeing her was rare. Later on, they learned that she was sick with undiagnosed syphilis. If left untreated, it has a horrible side effect. According to the Mayo Clinic, brain damage, dementia, and mental health problems. Here are some symptoms. 
One, brain damage. Two, dementia. Three, mental health problems. Four, heart disease. Five, movement disorders. Six, muscle problems. Seven, nerve damage. Eight, seizures. Nine, tumors, usually on the bones and skin. 10, vision problems. This is not medical advice. Do not use this to diagnose any sort of symptoms you are having. We are not doctors. If you are encountering any of the symptoms listed above, talk to your doctor, not us. We don't know what we're doing. On November 9th, 1971, at 46 years old, middle-aged accountant, he went through and annihilated his entire household inside their Westfield, New Jersey mansion. Some say they are far enough from neighbors where you couldn't hear gunshots. I don't agree. In fact, my husband called in gunshots early in the morning a week ago, and so did someone else 10 blocks away at the same time. We know that because you can look up Twitter feeds for phone calls dispatched to the police officers in the city that we live in. He wakes up at 5.30 like every other morning, makes eggs, gets the kids off to school and get their milk order from the milkman. He tells them that they will be out of state for a while and to stop future deliveries. Here is the order of victims shot methodically one by one. Moments after the kids left for school, 46-year-old wife Helen comes downstairs, gets some coffee and toast, then sits down at the table. He walked into the garage, got both weapons, went back to the kitchen, pulled out the weapon standing right behind her, and shot her in the back of the head. She died instantly from the point-blank range shot. In his book, he describes it melodically, without emotions. Then he immediately goes upstairs to his mother, Alma's age 84 apartment, where she is also making breakfast. She greets him with a kiss as it is customary. She asks about the loud noise she just heard, but he says he didn't hear anything. He pulls out the weapon and shoots her in the temple above the left eye. Because he left her there, Oh, he said he left her there because she was too heavy to move down from the attic. So he left her on the floor and put a towel over her face. He said he didn't want the kids to walk in and see their mom's body and know they were next. So he moved her body to the ballroom and put her on a sleeping bag in the ballroom. I'm guessing he was thinking the sleeping bag might help soak up all the blood. He spent hours mopping the floor over and over until it didn't look like a crime scene anymore. After all that work, he decides he's hungry and he's going to get a sandwich in the same place he just killed his wife in. When he was asked about it, he said, I was hungry. I mean, what else would he do while waiting for the kids to come home? Later, later on, during his sessions with court, with a court-appointed psychiatrist, he said he had to plan what would happen next. That meant writing, let's cancel the milkman and mail deliveries, telling the kids' schools they would be away for an extended period of time. He wrote to the kids' employers, telling everyone that his wife's family had a sick member and they needed to go to North Carolina to take care of business. 
He went to the bank and closed his and his mother's accounts, cashed in her $2,000 savings bond. His eldest daughter, Patty, 16, calls to say she's coming home early because she feels ill. She went to Duke's until 12.30. Then her dad came to pick her up. They drive home, walk inside, where he shoots her in the face, drags her body to the ballroom, and lays her on top of the sleeping bag just like Helen. The next victim was their youngest son, Frederick, age 13. He was at, he was at his after-school job, KMD and Associates. He called his dad to see why Patty didn't show up for work because they worked at the same place. Soon after the call ended, John showed up to pick Frederick up from work. They walked to the back door and he immediately pulls out his weapon and shoots him in the same place as the others, the left side of the face once, killing him immediately. He dragged his body to the ballroom with the others and placed him into onto a sleeping bag. Some say he goes to Westfield High School to watch his eldest son, John Frederick, aka John Jr., age 15, play in a soccer game. Others say he was dropped off after soccer and started shooting right after he walked in the door. He barely had time to leave his books before his dad started shooting. In fact, he still had all of his soccer gear on. He ends up shooting him 10 times. The crime scene evidence shows that his son tried to find, fight back. Apparently, he shot him once, and unlike the others, he did not drop dead instantly. He struggled, so he was shot nine more times using his father's 22 caliber Colt revolver. He dragged him to the ballroom and laid him down on a sleeping bag with the others. He didn't even attempt to clean up the blood this time. He left all the evidence in the kitchen and the drag marks from his oldest son. Then he says he prayed, asking the Lord to accept his family into heaven and asked for forgiveness, but completely emotionless. He, let her, he later said he cleaned his weapons, which he got as a souvenir from World War II, from when he served, and a 1912 9mm steer M1912, or it might be an M1912, is a, is a semi-automatic pistol developed in 1911 by Austrian firm. It was developed for the Austro-Hungarian army and adopted in 1912. It was a standard Austro-Hungarian military handgun of World War One. His father fought in World War One and must have stolen the fire firearm from a falling enemy soldier. He then packs his bags and writes his letters, including his horrific five-page confession letter, to his pastor. He left it on the desk of his study, saying he killed them due to having the sense that his children were becoming immoral and less religious. He said he didn't have... He said he did it to save their souls. He said it was the only option and he hoped his pastor understood why he did it. He felt that he had to kill them now so they would still make it into heaven. He then calls the Bader residents to tell them 
they won't be needing to carpool anymore and gives them the fake Helen's mom is sick so they're going to North Carolina story. He searched the house for every photo he could find with his face in it and cut himself out of all of them. He returned, oh, he turned the radio to a religious station and left all the lights on in the house. He left, walked out the door and locked it to start a new life with a new identity. He then eats dinner alone and sleeps in his bed with all the dead bodies downstairs. He tells the psychiatrist it was the best night's sleep he'd ever had. When he woke up, he ate breakfast like normal and then left. The list, apparently one list, left specific instructions for the burials, but no money to pay for the funeral. His church paid for the plot in Westfield Cemetery that received the bodies of his wife and children. His mother was to be buried in her hometown of Bay City, Michigan. So I have to interject here for a second. Okay. So the reason he left instructions was like a week or two before all of this happened, he actually sat down with all of his family members and asked them if they died, what they would want to happen, which definitely is messed up. Shows like it's premeditated. Well, now, like, clearly. Here's, here's my opinion on that. I don't think that's something messed up to talk about. Oh, I agree. I agree. Because like, I think it's I think it's smart and more and we should make that a normal part of of conversations that we have with our families. Because when my brother died, he was young and we were all we knew is that he wanted to be cremated. We didn't know what to do with his cremains. We didn't know how he would feel about either spreading them or separating them. We didn't know any of that stuff. And so we started talking agree. about it as a family. So I don't think that that's a weird conversation to have. But <clears throat> in the contents, context of, you know, what happened after that, yeah, it's significant. In the timeline that it happened. So my mom, when my dad died, my mom and I sat down and we did my dad's and my mom's funeral arrangements all at the same time because although I am not an only child, solely done by me, and I wouldn't be able to, like, blood-wise, have anyone else help me, mm -hmm. um, because my oldest sister isn't blood-wise my mom's child, um, which we both know would not be a thing if she made it what is always there for me if she was my biggest supporter right yeah and she would help me but with that said she would also be distressed <laughs> so doing those things beforehand and knowing what you want that should be the normal and the fact that it's not and he then murdered his family like a week later like the hindsight that happens in that is the, what makes it disturbing Sorry, I'm going to drink some more V8. No problem. Um, so Patricia had mentioned it, not just to the drama teacher, but to some of her friends, that she was worried that her dad was going to kill the family or hurt the family. 
which is interesting. And also, so one of the things Amanda and I were talking about in this case, the fact that he could simply walk into the social security office and say, I lost my card, my name is, and then give them any kind of random name they want. He doesn't have to have any proof that that's his name. And then they issue him a new card. It took like five minutes for this situation to happen. That is not something that can be done like that these days. That's one of the reasons it was so easy for people to commit crimes and then just disappear. Yeah. Uh, We have certain securities and processes today that are horribly inconvenient because of people like him who fully took advantage of the system. Yep, exactly. I think he changed it just a few years later. I want to say in 1973. So it's it's possible that it literally will happen because of him. So the pastor response to John's letter asking him to understand why he did it. John, as your pastor, I am still very much your friend who will always support you, stand by you, and help you. The Lord God, whom you know and believe in, will not forsake you in these most agonizing times. Please contact me if you are prevented by other circumstances at this time. Wait, pray, and contact me when you can, anytime, day or night. If he is living, he needs some of us. I can come and I can get him anywhere he is, wherever he is. I will be there. So John goes on to live life under the alias Robert Peter Clark. First, he lives in Colorado as a short order cook, then in Virginia as an accountant. Sometime in August 1972, the home was burned and the source of the fire was unknown. Many believe it was arson. It was incredibly valuable. There was a stained glass ceiling that was designed by Louis Comfort, Tiffany, Oh, were you supposed to say so, uh, say that where it says Tiffany too bad he didn't try to sell that? It was worth at least a hundred thousand dollars. Uh no, so uh Tiffany is the company of the stained glass ceiling. So is like Tiffany Glass. Well who's this yes. Louis Comfort? That's the first part of the name. So it's technically so Tiffany is the company, but the name of that specific of stained glass is Lewis Comfort. You know, like there's art done by whatever artist, but the name of the piece is different than the artist's name. That's what that is saying. Oh. Yeah, Tiffany Glass. Holy shit. $100,000. Yeah. It would have solved all his problems. So fun fact, years later, a new home was built on the land, but many people, especially children, never wished to live on that street or walk past where the property used to stand. In 1972, suspected of being D.B. Cooper, which was dismissed by local cops, but for some reason the FBI decided otherwise, it ended up being completely dismissed by everyone later on. So he was thought to be D.B. Cooper? Yeah, he was one of, like, the top three people suspected of being D.B. Cooper. I've never heard 
that theory before. So after Amanda wrote that, I went and looked it up and yeah, for sure. Like it says everywhere that he is one of the top three suspects. Wow. <sighs> the FBI still to this day says that they think he was D.B. Cooper. Even though local cops and other things dismissed it, for some reason, the FBI still to this day is like, no, no, we really think it's him. You know, that's funny. Actually, the more I think about his name, I have heard his name in that. Uh, However, I don't think his crimes were properly highlighted uh, or possibly even downplayed because I don't, I don't relate the two. Yeah, um, so, like, when you look up the FBI stuff, they're like, yeah, no, we really thought it was him. Yeah. No, I believe you. It's funny. So, it looks like he then remarried Dolores in 1985, and we're not mentioning her name because she was a victim, too, oblivious to what he had done before she had met him. He had evaded the police successfully until June 1st. 1989, when America's Most Wanted episode aired, one of his acquaintances, a lady who called and said he looked a lot like one of her neighbors. She recognized him, called in the tip, and that led to his arrest. She also made sure they knew that similar to John List, Robert Clark was a regular churchgoer and accountant. Oh, that's a fun fact. So, Another fun fact, the police had tried to get the show Unsolved Mysteries to air the case, but never could get them to do that. After it was a cold case, they tried to get America's Most Wanted to do the case, but the show initially turned it down until John Walsh heard about it. He called his friend, Frank Bender, to help with the bust for the episode and give people a face to look at. Putting glasses on him was the key feature. Walsh, understandably, had some pretty strong feelings about List. He called him a son of a bitch, a coward, and a child killer. And those of you that don't know, John Walsh had a son named Adam. And in the, and when Adam was very, very young, he went to the store with his mother, and he went missing. And no one found him. Well... I take that back. The remains of his son that were found were partial remains. They never got the full remains of his child back. They never know knew what happened. Um, but for those of you who work in retail, we know what a code Adam is. And it is because of John Walsh's son. So if you ever hear a code Adam being called in a store, it means stop Look around you for a small child that fits a description. The doors, all doors, all exits will be blocked until the child is found. So John Walsh has a very strong opinion about people who take the lives of children. Absolutely. Um, Adam was sick when he died. The episode included a age-progressed bust created by a forensic sculptor, Frank Bender. We will put up side-by-side comparisons between the real John List and the bust on our Facebook group and Instagram. 
One of the people who saw the episode of America's Most Wanted was a former neighbor of his, Wanda. She was watching it with her daughter and son-in-law. She knew right away it was him. So she was sure it was her old neighbor who claimed to be Robert P. Clark. She did not call because she was worried he might come after her. So she called, she had her son-in-law call 20 minutes after the episode ended. After he was captured, she told the media she was happy to be the one to catch him. If it wasn't for Wanda Flannery, America's Most Wanted, John Walsh, and all the detectives throughout the years who had his case wouldn't have found him. That's right, they found him. He was arrested the same day he was found. New York Times reports June 2, 1989, an 18-year search for one of the nation's most wanted fugitives, a New Jersey man who vanished when his mother, wife, and three children were found shot to death in 1971, ended in Virginia yesterday after his case was featured on a national television program. Holy crap. Okay, scroll all the way down. There's a picture of the side-by-side -side with him and then the sculpture. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now, and they, they did a really good job on age progressing him because it's it's almost identical so mcfadden revealed that list had changed his name but kept his profession married a woman who knew nothing of his past lived in colorado and virginia and avoided any trouble that might have exposed his fingerprints the incident stunned the suspect's wife and delighted former neighbors Yeah, because they all were like, we knew there was something wrong with him, especially um, especially his daughter's friends, because she was a teenager. And um, there were so many red flags, so many red flags, um, that basically everyone was like, yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. This dude's freaking crazy. Okay, yeah. He's a jerk face. Everybody hates him. And the, pre the press is going wild, right? Because similarly with the case of the serial killer Ted Bundy, the press mentions the admirable nature of Liss' lifestyle, making awareness of the fact that he was college educated, church going, and an accountant, and seemingly respectable man. Right? And this is like... I don't know. This is the thing that really turns my, my stomach up is like, you're, you're highlighting all these quote unquote good qualities about a person who killed his family. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't care what you are doing in your community. I don't care what you are um, do, doing, I don't care if you work for a charity, you invented a charity. I don't care if you're like feeding the underprivileged children or weaning babies off of heroin. If you go home and you kill your family, you're a bad person. Yeah. Doing, doing good things for like your community, going to church, being college. None of those things, going to college, none of those things makes you a good person. Nope. It really doesn't. So, and, and when you murder your family, you're a coward. You're an absolute coward. And I, 
I think that that is one of the most ridiculous things that you could do to your family and then walk away from that. Also to your religion and everyone who believes in religion, you're essentially saying it's okay because I'm religious. It's not. No. There's, there's no excuse to, to murder somebody unless it is the defense, the physical defense of your own life. Exactly. And even then you got to think like, okay, it's not, that's not an easy position to be in and be okay with taking another person's life. But just don't, just don't kill people. Okay. Just don't. And we won't have to have that conversation. You won't be featured on our show and then that'll be good. You know, yeah, be featured on our show because you wrote an episode. Don't be featured on our show because you murdered someone. Yeah, I'd really just prefer it if the people that listened just kept their hands to themselves and um, played nice with life. If you don't like somebody, walk away from it. We no learned that in kindergarten. Keep yeah. your hands to yourself. Hands to yourself. Okay. Okay, so the media sensationalizes everything, as we all know, because that's how they get ratings. But in Richmond, Virginia, the wife of Robert P. Clark, the alias of John List, whom the FBI, you know, reveals to her that he's John List, a man who killed his family in 1971, his wife says his arrest is unbelievable. He is that alleged killer is not the man I know. And she ended up asking reporters to respect her right to personal privacy during this very dramatic and uncertain time. And I don't blame her. And this statement That's one reason we're not saying her full name. Yeah. We're just you know, if she has her own life, she does not need to be dragged through 50 million podcasts and more, you know, media on it. She is a victim in all this because she was completely misled by this man and used as a cover. And that's really, exactly. really not fair to her. So... The trial took place in 1990... He showed no remorse or guilt during the entire trial. Lawyers claimed it was due to PTSD after World War II and the Korean War. He tried to say it was a mercy killing, that he was mentally insane at the time due to PTSD, therefore couldn't be held responsible. Psychologist claims it was an extreme reaction to a midlife crisis. His court appointed Dr. Stephen Shimmering said he ended up spilling everything to him. He was diagnosed in obs with obsessive personality disorder. Prosecutors made sure to drive home that this was no excuse for killing five people. List told the psychiatrist that he only had three choices, run away, go bankrupt, or kill his entire family. He believed the first two options were both sins. He believed if he killed them all, then repented, followed by living a good clean life he would be forgiven he said his old boss at xerox told him he needed to get rid of his wife helen and all his problems would disappear 
On April 1990, he was convicted of five counts of five-degree murder, fifth-degree murder, and given five consecutive life sentences in New Jersey prison. In 2002, List is interviewed about his motives for the murder. He still claimed it was because he wanted to make sure they would get into heaven so he could meet them there, though he did not seem to be in a rush to see them. Cough, cough. Like, really? Really? Right. Really, dude? That's what you're going with? <laughs> he died in prison custody on March 21st, 2008, at the age of 82, to massive blood clots in both his lungs. He never expressed remorse for his crimes, and nobody claimed his body. Well, who would want to claim your body? Do you know what happens when no one claims a body? In prison? Um, I didn't know this until this case. I I feel like I've heard of what happens, but I, I can't remember. So the Department of Justice, um, so prisons, have graveyards. Yeah. The people just get buried in the graveyard, and they don't get, like, name plots or whatever they're called. They just get, like, a little thing that says their last name on it. Yeah. That's what they would do with, like, mental institutions, too. Yeah. Um, and horrible. so, I guess I didn't have as far to go as I thought I I would. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk about the court case. There was, was there more to the court case than what was written? Um, not really. I mean, it was... This is one of those cases, but it wasn't a who did it. No. They knew who did it. Yeah, obviously. They had all the evidence. They just couldn't find it. Which is a little different than what we normally have. It's like, oh, so you find someone and then you have no idea. But in this case, there was like, hands down, they knew who it was. Well, I know that you had mentioned something about the house reportedly being haunted. What do you know about that? Yeah, so the house actually burnt down um, entirely. Yeah. And then they put a new house on top of it, which is interesting because the mansion that burnt down was replaced by a I think it's a four-bedroom, four-bath house. Hold on. I think a butterfly just, like, knocked itself out on my window. Hold on. <laughs> nope. Not a butterfly. What was it? I don't know. wasn't a butterfly, though. So was it the old house that had burnt down or the new house that was haunted? It was the old house that was haunted and then burnt down. Gotcha. Um, and the house that is currently up there, I've looked at pictures and stuff. Um, the family that purchased it has been there for 10 years. 
and it's a beautiful house. It's just you know, what the original house, they think it was arson, but they're not sure. It burnt down in 1972. This was supposed to be two episodes, but we failed miserably at that. Sorry about that, guys. But, uh, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Thank you so much for helping us have a podcast. Thank you to all of our macabre bobs, our listeners. We're so happy to have see there's there's one of our macabobs going off and fangirling on us just barking their head off they don't oh, want us to stop i guess not for you uh her her dad talking ah gotcha yep well so, thank you for sticking with us um 22 episodes 22 episodes is it 22 episodes i looked it up just now nice it'll it'll be number 22 excellent hey good job us good job you guys yeah. so we don't have a set date when we'll come back we will probably do a um um trailer yes season two trailer absolutely and then you know followed by a season two yay and maybe just maybe a season three. It's <gasps> exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, I love what we've done here with the place, Tiffany. I love Me what too. you guys have done with the place as well. We're going to work hard during the summer, uh, I think. We're also going to play hard. Boop, boop. And, yes. um,. We'll come back at you in the fall, probably. Maybe winter. Yeah. We after don't know yet. Day. Definitely sometime after my birthday. Yes. So, yeah. I'm going to go upstairs awesome. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a nap, you guys. I want everybody, all of our macabre bobs, the full macabre bob mob, the mob of macabre bobs. Yeah, that's fun to say. Mob of macabre bobs. Say it with me, everybody. Mob of macabre bobs. It is a lot of syllables that take place that make fun things happen when you're saying it in your mouth. In your mouth. Not no, not when you say in your mouth, but when you say mob of <laughs> macabre bobs. Mob of macabre bobs. Yeah. Thank you, Amanda, for writing this story for us. Thank you so much, Amanda. It was a great story. Thank you for sharing it with us. This took some wild turns here, and you know, if you got more, send it a send it our way. Um, everybody out there, you are welcome to send us a story that you have written, and then we'll absolutely. Oh, sure. before we go, yeah, I do have to say, we have made it. We can be macabre. Has made it on Google. We have. So I just I just googled Satan Leroy Rogers, and we are when you when you go to images, our Wiggly Macabre like photo thing you made, yeah, is on the third row of photos in Google. 
Oh my God. How cool is that? That's so cool. Oh my God. I totally, when you were uh, talking, um, like silently fangirl. <laughs> That's so crazy. Isn't that cool? I'm like, yay, look, we made it. All I did was Google um his name i didn't put anything about podcast nothing no i just, just searched his name i just looked myself okay i'm googling wickedly macabre ah we come up a little bit holy crap we're a thing oh look it even says Tiffany collection yeah what else is it gonna wow, say wow like the entire first page is almost all of us Air five. Yeah. High five. I just, I just did. I did an air five. The first seven things and the photos are ours. That is so cool. Yeah, we did a thing. Oh my God. That's crazy. Makes Thank me, you, everyone. Makes me feel a little, a little excited. Right? Yeah. Good way to end it. Great way to end season. it. We're on the map. We didn't even have to, like, put out ads or anything. No, not a single ad. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know. entire first season without an ad. That, that is all you guys. All you. Absolutely. So... If you know somebody, and I know that there's several people out there that just talk us up constantly. Melissa, I'm looking at you. You know I am. I I just want to say, keep doing it. It's It's been awesome. You guys are awesome. Um, we do it because we love you and we like all of the intriguing crimes that we find and stories that we find. Yeah. It's been, that we think you will be intrigued with, that if we didn't know it was a thing, maybe you didn't know it was a thing either. We're having fun, and we hope you guys are having fun. I know... We love you. I know I'm excited for season two, and we're probably going to change up the game a little bit, but it's going to be fun, it's going to be awesome, and there's going to be true crime, there's going to be paranormal, there's going to be Tiffany, there's going to be me, there's going to be guest stars. Maybe we'll do an interview. I don't know. I don't know. What is going to happen? What? We're going to get crazy up in here. Boop, boop. I think I already did. Got to keep you on your toes. Yeah. All right. Have okay, a safe bye. and happy 4th of July. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Don't blow anything up. Oh, yeah. Bye. Don't blow anything up. <laughs> Bye.